Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we invite God into our world, he walks in. He brings a host of gifts, joy, patience, resilience. Anxieties come, but they don't stick. Fears surface and then depart. Regrets land on the windshield, but then comes the wiper of prayer. There's still stones of guilt, but we turn and give them to Christ. We are wired with energy. We are happier, healthier, and more hopeful than we have ever been. Struggles come, for sure, but so does God. Prayer is not a privilege for the pious, not the art of a chosen few. Prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and His children. He wants to talk with you. We meet now in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us enter into that conversation with God as we search out the truth and we find the right way to faith. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. Jesus taps at the door, we open it, and let the conversation begin. How are you? Very well, thank you. Well, Archbishop, today the Church celebrates the solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ, also known as Corpus Christi. The primary purpose of this feast is to focus our attention on the Eucharist. And also, I, I think the secondary focus is upon the body of Christ as it is present in the Church. Why is the Church called the body of Christ? Well, because uh, in the New Testament itself, we see that Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. And that um, intimate intimacy, that union with Christ in the New Testament, uh, for example, in the writings of St. Paul, uh, is developed uh, in God's revelation to us that we become what we receive, that we actually become united with the body, the risen body of Christ, the mystical body, as it's sometimes been mm -hmm. called, that we're all members of this one body of Christ. But we become that through baptism and the Holy Eucharist, that we're incorporated, initiated into the body of Christ at baptism, and through our reception of the Holy Eucharist, we are more and more made one with him. But of course, then we also have the obligation to live accordingly. If we are members of the body of Christ, as the scriptures make clear, then we have to, we have to imitate Christ. We have to keep the, his commandments. We have to, to be united in love with Christ and with all others, you know, who are part of the body. We'll talk more about the celebration of Corpus Christi when we take a look at our gospel reading. But today is also Flag Day a day in which we commemorate the adoption of the flag of the United States on June 14, 1777. And today we reflect on the foundations of America's freedom, observe our nation's unity, and reaffirm our beliefs in liberty and justice for all. Now, I'm not so sure that our nation is experiencing much unity these days, nor justice for all. Do you want to comment on the state of our country on this Flag Day? I mean, there's the death of George Floyd at the hands of a white policeman kneeling on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while three others stood by. There's the riots, the looting, the burnings, and the destruction that occurred. And there are the peaceful protests against racism, the demands to defund the police or dissolve police departments. So on this Flag Day, what are your thoughts, Archbishop? 
Well, I have to say I have a grave concern for our nation uh, in as much as the, all that you've described is very real. And it's part of something larger, and that is the divisions that are appearing in, in uh, American society that are very stark, because it's not just about the recent events that you've described. It's not even about uh, racism uh, and the divide uh, that can uh, happen among people of different races and cultures and such. But it is... Uh, a nation has to be built on, on a foundation uh, of uh, a common belief and allegiance. And, um, I mean, I think thoughtful people are questioning whether we're not really kind of splintering. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not just about uh, disputes uh, regarding uh, President Trump, although that's certainly part of it. But I think that even prior to him and apart from him, we have to ask ourselves where we're headed. And I don't know the answer to that. But I think as Catholics, as believers, we have been part of a, a foundation of religious and moral belief that is part of uh, our nation's history and, and culture. And if uh, that doesn't exclude diversity, that does not exclude diversity by any means. Uh, but I do think we have to search our, our consciences and our hearts about what kind of people we are and where we want to go. Thursday, June 18th. Now more than ever, everyone can use a day to treat themselves to something special. And Thursday is what's called National Splurge Day. It's a holiday to take time away from the stress of life and spend the time and money on something that you enjoy or splurge on someone else to bring a smile to their face. Would you agree that it's important to celebrate ourselves from time to time and do something that we may not usually take the time or the money to do? Well, we have to be a little careful about that. There are many innocent things that we can do along those lines, so I certainly don't want to... Uh, say that that's bad, uh, uh, particularly if we're doing it for somebody else. But, you know, we live in such a materialistic society that, (laughs) you know, Mm. you talk about splurging, sometimes it can have an effect that is not so good. I think we always have to be prudent uh, in in what we do, and we also have to invest our time and money and energy in things that really count, that are are important, you know, not just on, I guess what I'm saying is not just materialistic kinds of things, what are they, the old saying, you know, the best things in life are free. If we can bring joy and comfort to somebody else, uh, that's the best thing of all. I'm thinking of something like perhaps take the time to go for a walk and appreciate the beauty of God's created nature, maybe splurge in that kind of a way. Something Well, splurging with your time, yeah. yeah. I think most people think of splurge in terms of money. Money, yeah. And, and of course, a lot of people... And a lot of people today are hurting for their uh, financial well-being. You know, so many people uh, laid off because of the pandemic and their, their livelihood and jobs threatened. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we, we, I think that kind of splurge is, is a good one for a good walk. Friday is the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And in the Catholic Church, the month of June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And the feast always falls 19 days after Pentecost Sunday. What does the Sacred Heart of Jesus represent, Archbishop? Well, the heart of Christ uh, represents the, uh, as it does uh, in our thinking, a heart is a seat, uh, even though physiologically it's not so, but the heart is a symbol of our, our, our feelings, our love, our, our dedication. Uh, and so uh, Christ in his sacred humanity uh, has uh, shown uh, the heart of God toward us, you know, the redeeming love and everything that Christ represents and is for us. And isn't it interesting that the following day, Saturday, the church celebrates the memorial of the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
And this devotion honors Mary's perfect purity of heart in virtue of her immaculate conception. It's connected in many ways to that of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Why are these two devotions to the hearts of Jesus and Mary side by side on the liturgical calendar? Well, it would seem appropriate that in we in celebrating the, the heart of Christ, we also remember the heart of Mary, his mother, because, you know, Mary's heart was also pierced. Uh, remember mm-hmm. that prophecy in the temple uh, that uh, just as Christ's heart was pierced on the cross out of love for us, Mary's heart was also pierced by all that she had to endure, her her kind of cross in life and uh, in the witnessing the death of her son, again, is all part of this redemptive mystery. Let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis, drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts. This is taken from Pope Francis's homily delivered on March 25th of 2017, and is called, The Great Question, Is Hope Possible Here and Now? The Pope says, The frantic pace of modern life seems to steal away all hope and joy from our daily lives. The pressures and the powerlessness we experience in so many situations seem to shrivel our souls. The countless challenges we face stupefy us, paralyze us. The world is speeding up to build, in theory, a better society. Yet, paradoxically, at the end of the day, there is no time for anything or for anyone. We have no time to spend with our families or our communities, no time for friendship, for consensus, or for reflection. We should ask ourselves, how can we enact the joy of the gospel in our daily lives, in our cities? Is Christian hope possible here and now? These two questions shape our identity, the lives of our families, our towns, and our cities. Archbishop, your thoughts. Well, I do think, though, that uh, what the Pope said in 2017 has been overtaken in some respects, some aspects, by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That is to say, he's talking about the frantic pace of modern life. Well, the frantic pace of modern life has been brought to kind of a halt in many respects. It is now reasserting itself, but I cannot help but think but the experience that people are having uh, because of the pandemic of being stopped in their tracks, literally, and having to live and relate with one another in a more measured way could actually uh, have, uh, we hope, uh, maybe some good effects. Uh, That's not to say that the pandemic is good by no means, Everything that happens to us, we can find good in if we if we if we use it well. So maybe uh, uh, this will make us uh, reconsider the, the frantic pace of modern life, and maybe rediscover some things that are more important and balanced. I would agree with that. And the Pope says, at the end of the day, there is no time for anything or for anyone. But like you say, because of this pandemic, we have so much time on our hands. Maybe it's a good time to reflect on the wise use of that time when we get back to some semblance of what we called normal life. Let's take a look now at our gospel reading, Archbishop, on this Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ. Today's gospel is from John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, and after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you and ask for your thoughts and inspired wisdom. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Archbishop, I'm sure the way you hear this gospel today is much different from the way the original Jewish crowd heard it when Jesus first spoke these words. Your thoughts? Well, I think this is a very uh, important gospel. You know, sadly, in, in our country today, it would appear that even practicing Catholics, even Catholics who go to Mass on Sunday, do not really appreciate or understand the reality of the Holy Eucharist, that it truly is the body and blood of Christ and not a mere symbol. This is at the very heart of Christianity, as far as I'm concerned. It's the very heart of the church, that uh, Jesus is not a great moral teacher. I mean, he is, but that's not his the fundamental reality. Uh, Jesus is not some guru or some figure in history who simply taught us to love uh, God and our neighbor. Jesus is the world's redeemer, its savior, and he is, uh, he is divine. Jesus is actually given us uh, in the sacraments, not symbols, uh, not just nice, pious comforts, but he's given us divine life and his very self. And so when people think that the Holy Eucharist is just a symbol, they really are abandoning uh, a fun or not or failing to understand a fundamental uh, reality of uh, of uh, who Jesus is and what the church is and what salvation is and if if there's any gospel that confirms uh, the reality of the eucharist it's this one from John you know because uh, when people first heard this at the time they said how is this possible they were repelled that Jesus is a, a somehow advocating cannibalism but Jesus was very insistent to the point that many people, it says, walked away and no longer followed him. Because to say that we're going to eat your body and drink your blood, that's repugnant. But we know in hindsight, uh, in if they had opened their hearts in faith to Christ and had stuck it out with him to, to be led into this mystery, they would understand that, yes, it truly is his body and blood, but under uh, a sacramental signs. So the Eucharist is really everything. It's the heart of the church, and it's unimaginable for me as a bishop, as a, as a Catholic, as a believer, to imagine how people can separate themselves from the Holy Eucharist and say that, well, you know, it's just a symbol or it's not that important. Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. What a startling uh, statement that is. You cannot have life within you. And yet people don't seem to think that that, uh, for many people, that that's very compelling. I mean, it's a real lack of faith, at least of fully formed faith, you know, in the yeah. sense that the church believes and teaches from the gospel and from Christ. I have to say, and I, I've said it on my televised mass for uh, this Corpus Christi, you know, that um, because of the pandemic, people have not been able uh, to receive the Holy Eucharist. Uh, priests have, saying mass all alone in the church. But now that we've opened up again, gradually, we have to see, has absence made the heart grow stronger for Christ or not? Mm. You know, I, I'm very edified to know 
that a lot of people really have longed for the Eucharist during this time of pandemic uh, closures. Uh, that's a, that is a very uh, encouraging and good sign. But I don't know how many people we have to see as things really open up. And of course, right now, I've cautioned everybody, you're not obliged to come to Mass. And if you have any qualms or any health problems, or you shouldn't. But that doesn't mean that ultimately, eventually, as this passes, I, I'm hoping for a great uh, recovery of Eucharistic faith. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. Take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. Now, I'm going to challenge you, Archbishop. How would you explain this to a class of second graders who are about to receive their first communion? Well, I think in the same way that it was explained to me and you when when we were in second grade. You know, little children have a wonderful... uh, this, I've, I've, this has been mentioned many times over the years in my hearing in a way that has made an impression on me by people who are expert and who know that little children up to a certain age have a very profound sense of, of the sacred and of, of uh, religion. I can still remember my first communion day. I think we, we yeah. were certainly, you know, if you tell a little child, this really is Jesus that you're receiving into your heart, mind, and soul, and you need to say a prayer to him and to have this relationship with Jesus. I think it's sometimes more successful with little children than it is with adults. Because as we get older, you know, what did Jesus say? Unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of truth truth there. A little child is much more open to understanding, perhaps, or accepting mystery in their lives, too. And I would say this. This is not about little children. This is about... Uh, young people in general who are not not little anymore. But, you know, it's very encouraging that many of the movements that have reached out to young adults uh, to, you know, have them uh, engage in their faith and and be brought to a deeper Catholic uh, piety, Mm -hmm. they are very, very open to Eucharistic adoration. All the the successful uh, youth uh, movements in the church are really big on Eucharistic adoration. So this is this is something that uh, I, you know. If I've been a little bit discouraging about uh, what all these statistics say about people's understanding of the Eucharist, uh, this, on the other hand, is very encouraging. So you know, I've asked all of our, well, I've directed all of our parishes uh, to to have. Now this is before the pandemic, but to have one at least one hour a week of Eucharistic adoration in the parish. Now that's been greatly curtailed because of the pandemic. As we open up again, I I want to repeat and reaffirm the importance of that. Let's take a look at some of the questions that our listeners have submitted to to you, Archbishop. But before we get to those questions, I have a question for you. Starting next week, Father Michael White will serve as the vicar in the Office of Education, Evangelization, and Catechesis, temporarily filling the role previously held by Sister Mary Grace Walsh. Can you tell us about his appointment and, and let the parents of Catholic school students know what to expect in the coming school year? Well, uh, yes. First of all, let me say that uh, it was uh, a great uh, disappointment and sadness for me to learn that uh, Sister Mary Grace's uh, religious community, the Apostles of the Sacred Heart, uh, felt it necessary to uh, transfer her to an, another uh, appointment, in, uh, you know, apostle of their community in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, I, uh, you know, I certainly respect the sisters' obligations to, to what their work is and what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And I know Sister Mary Grace was very sorry to leave, but she felt that this was uh, in obedience, a legitimate call of her community that, that needs to be honored. And in the end, I have to honor it as well. Uh, so 
she was very transformative over these years and bringing together this very large effort of evangelization and, and catechesis and education. Father Michael White now uh, continues to be the pastor of his parish in Simsbury, but on the other hand, uh, he, he will be presiding temporarily over the office that involves all these things, education, evangelization, and catechesis, and formation, Christian formation in general. So I'm very grateful to him for his willingness to do this uh, ad interim. And uh, yes, we will be uh, eventually having to identify a, a new person for that responsibility. Two weeks of social unrest, the death of a man at the hands of authority, spawning more violence, more deaths, people not allowed to work or run their businesses, but huge crowds encouraged to gather for protests. Archbishop, what good can we make of all that the country's been going through? Well, I don't have any easy answer for that. Clearly, there is a, a great um, sense uh, of outrage that uh, there's not equal treatment under the law and there are abuses of power that leads even to death. On the other hand, you know, I, I don't think that our, our police in general are thugs who want to, to, want to injure people, uh, but clearly the policies and procedures and the, even perhaps the mindset in, uh, in some cases uh, has to be changed. So we have some people calling uh, for the extreme, you know, of, of, uh, of getting rid of police departments. I don't think that that's possible or is going to happen. But on the other hand, we, you know, our policing uh, really cannot be permitted to in, uh, have such uh, constant uh, stream of, of deaths at the hands of police, you know, and that's for professionals in these fields to uh, determine how this needs to be remedied and how it needs to be healed. But I think the deeper thing, it's not just a matter of police procedure, it is also the very keen perception on the part of people of color in the United States that they are looked upon with suspicion, that they are, they are singled out for sometimes treatment that is not fair or that that is discriminatory. And I think we have to take that very seriously. Our country has made progress in this over the years from the time when I was a, a young man, but clearly that's not over yet by any means. There's more uh, progress think to make. There's much more progress to make, and I, I don't understand why it is that, and let's prescind for a moment from the question of white or black, but even nationalities, other cultures, why is it that people always have this, this temptation that arises within them to make odious comparisons of anybody who's different or to try to build themselves up, I guess, by tearing somebody else down, you know? Yeah. It's as old as Cain and Abel, you know? It's part and parcel of, of the, our original sin. It's, it's, there's something in us that, 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 makes, that, that prompts this kind of, of um, attitude or this temptation to arise in our hearts. We really need to do everything personally and socially we can to remedy that. To, to resist that temptation and to ensure in law and practice that people are and their rights are protected and their lives are protected from un, undue suspicion or violence or death. Ron from Middletown says, what is your position on celebrating the sacrament of reconciliation outside? Oh, I suppose he means out, out yeah, of doors. Outdoors, yeah, I, I yeah. think that's the gist. Well, the I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I mean, our very own archdiocesan guidelines say that we should not right now be using the confessional box 
It can be in the church or it could be outside. Obviously, you have to have enough space to ensure the uh, confidentiality of, of the penitent and priest uh, at a safe distance. Carlos from New Haven says churches have reopened. However, I've been hearing different things from different people about the new changes taking place. Would you please clarify the new safety measures? Well, Carlos, the only thing I can say in answer is that it, they are complex. You know, what the procedures that need to be done. If you can simply go on our Archdiocesan website uh, and you'll find all of that outlined. And I, we've tried to make it very uh, clear language, but it, you know, the, there's a certain complexity to it. So if you just, that would be the simplest thing, uh, rather than me trying to go through the whole list of precautions that we'd like to, uh, not like to, that we need to follow. And the Archdiocesan website is archdioceseofhartford.org. And your churches, you know, if you when you go to Mass, I think uh, you will find the, uh, you know, the way it is set up is kind of self-explanatory in the sense that the, the procedures that are, that are being followed, that I trust are being followed there, are the ones that have been put forth by the Archdiocese. Have you received any complaints as of yet regarding the, any of the circumstances surrounding the availability of Mass or the number of people? Uh, some parishes are requesting that people call or make, quote, a reservation to come to Mass just so that they don't exceed the number of people that are allowed to be present? Well, my experience is these days you have an equal number of com- people complaining on opposite sides of the question. Mm. So you can't win, you know. Mm. Uh, but I must say that I, I don't, I, 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 I've heard anecdotally from our priest that things seem to be going well this week as we have reopened for uh, daily Mass. And it's my hope that we'll be able to open it for Sunday Mass relatively soon, but we have to first see how this goes. And they may be receiving some complaints, but and uh, and I'm sure we're receiving some here in the Archdiocese, but nothing extraordinary at, at this point, to my knowledge. And safety is still of primary concern for us all, right? Jessica from Wolcott says, To receive confession, we must see a priest in person. I know this is how it has always been, but seeing what happened during the pandemic, can other options be considered if something like this happened in the future? Maybe it is time to change. Well, Jessica, sacraments are always personal encounters. You know, they, they can't be, it's not something that you can do automatically or remotely. I, I, or over, so, the, over the phone. Yeah, over the phone. Uh, there are many, I won't go into detail, but there are many dangers about that. But um, I think that the, the, what we've established is a way to go to confession. It's still in person, but, but following the proper, uh, proper distancing. Let's see if we get one more question in. Archbishop Betsy in Plainville says, I'm not happy with the way my parish is reopening. They are limiting seating in the church, and I can't get to choose where I sit. Is this appropriate? <laughs> well, I don't mean to laugh, but, you know, when I think of all the people in the world who have far worse clergy shortages or persecutions, I read about people in Asia and Africa who are being murdered for their Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. I hear about people in some of those countries who walk for miles to go to Mass and spend all of Sunday going and coming back and celebrating Mass, I have to ask respectfully, is it really that important in the middle of a pandemic that we have our favorite seat? Shouldn't we be so happy to be able to go to Mass and receive the Holy Eucharist that even if we're somewhat inconvenienced in our usual patterns, shouldn't we put our sights on what is uh, most important? So I understand, you know, I, I tease the priest, you know, I say, when we have priest gatherings, I say you can tell you're good Catholics because you're all sitting in the back. Even at priest gatherings, people don't priests don't sit in the front. I don't know why that is about us, but we we have this way of our favorite seat. 
but I would just ask for some patience and uh, understand that maybe right now that's not so important. You bring out some great points. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Heavenly Father, on this uh, Corpus Christi Sunday, we rejoice and give thanks for the great gift of the Holy Eucharist, which your Son entrusted to us as the bread of life uh, and the cup of salvation. And we pray that we may grow first in faith in uh, the reality and mystery of this great sacrament, and secondly, that we be given the grace to live it in everyday life, to truly be the body and blood of Christ to the world, uh, to bring the love of Christ, which this sacrament makes real and present, to make that real and present in the lives of uh, other people and in the world and in our country that so much needs that love today. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 7 o'clock with a repeat at 11.30. Until then, we wish you a very pleasant week and stay safe. Thank you. You too.